my retirement plan is just to die. <laughs> I was just talking about that with my friend Kay today. Like up until we hit the like saga lottery, uh, my plan was to, yeah, die uh, yep. in an office at some point. And I was like, yeah, yeah. you'd find me on my, my drawing board dead. Yep. Yeah. Just how it goes. Oh, just FYI, we are recording now. Oh, good. I usually like to catch Betsy when she's saying something interesting. Yeah, you made <laughs> possibly rant. inflammatory to her career. Ooh, lovely. Yeah, you got to get that blackmail early. Well, I mean, it'll help me to really get my creative juices flowing when I'm scared of you know losing my job because then <laughs> no safety nets. Well, I mean, if you stay, because you're in Alberta, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, stay in Alberta long enough, I'm sure you'll get fired. They'll cut funding somewhere and you'll lose your job. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, how are we still living in a five-day work week? Like, this is the Jetsons. It's 2022. I should be working four hours a day for like two days a mm -hmm. week, flying car. I already have a robot vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. We're so close, you know? Yeah. We've got our, our droids. We're so close yet so far. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're closer to Star Wars than Star Trek, and that's a bit concerning. When do you think they take place? Are they, like, at the same time, or is one... You think Star Wars came first and then Star Trek? Uh, if we were going to give these two things some sort of even playing field, then, yeah, Star Wars happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, and Star Trek is in our future based on the star dates they give us. I guess, yeah. We hope. But I can also see someone coming along and we're living on the pathway to the Star Trek universe and then someone comes along, fucks it up, and we end up in the Star Wars world. Ah, parallel universe. Yeah. Uh, this is why time yeah, travel. Just like segue into <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Sorry, I will do this a lot. Do it. This is what I am like at any sort of social function. Um, have you seen the... This is how our conversation <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> have you seen that two-parter episode of Deep Space Nine uh, where they time travel to the Bell Riots? Mm -hmm. And it's what it looks like nowadays? Yeah. I have not watched a lot of Deep Space Nine. I'm sorry. Okay, so this... I would recommend this one. It's really good. It's time travel. Normally hate tra time travel, but it's really good. So essentially they end up in this neighborhood that's essentially where all the homeless people without jobs go and they end up quarantined in this one small area and all the rich people live outside, live their separate lives. And it's like a housing crisis, a job crisis. It's all the same problems. And they start mm -hmm. these essentially the bell riots, which is the turning oh, point okay. to the Federation kind of turning around and getting oh. their shit together. It's, I think it's set in like 2024 yeah, or something. Yeah, I was going to say 2024. So we're practically there. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like we're on that same timeline. Like, give us two years, we're going to be the same problem. We'll we shove all the homeless people into camps in certain areas, and then we just leave them there. I mean, they're already there. We've already ghettoized all these people. Yeah, um, exactly. So the yeah. Bell Riots lead to World War, not lead to, but are pre-World mm -hmm. War Three precursor yeah yeah and then you get world war three and then eventually in the ashes of that the vulcans oh my god <gasps> unless you're watching spoiler alert Spoilers. uh picard and then the vulcans came earlier i'm not are you guys watching picard did i just spoil you both i'm sorry interesting no it's fine i'm i'm okay with not no i'm okay with ignoring uh, yeah. that oh yeah I mean, there's lots of ways to hand wave away uh, Vulcans arriving earlier than they're supposed to. Like, everyone else in Star Trek time travels. Why not a couple Vulcans? Right? Enterprise did. Topol did, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Guess. 
Oh, like who hasn't time traveled in Star Trek? That's true. They're constantly doing it. I kind of miss the era of like the 90s, early 2000s crossover. Like, let's see some sliders in Star Trek action. Like, if we're going to talk about like different parallel universes, time travel, like, I want to see some sliders jump in with Q, Picard, like, just get it all together. Mm -hmm. Just do it up. Let's throw in some Stargate, too. Yeah, may as well. Just all the 90s shows need to come back. Yeah, get all those moms and dads from Stargate (laughs) involved. Soccer mom and. And your dad who doesn't know how to work the VCR. Oh, yeah. How they ever stopped aliens from invading Earth, I don't know. They took, the aliens took one look at humans and were like, no thanks, and just, yeah. 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 There's a great t-shirt from um, Hackers. Uh, Oh, who's that guy? I forget the character that plays it. I think it's the Mm Scooby-Doo guy who plays Shaggy in all the Scooby-Doo movies. Matthew Lillard? Yeah, Matthew Lillard. In Hackers? He's got a t-shirt that says the aliens are coming to save us. Yeah. Oh. I always like that t-shirt. Such like a 90s, like, X-File, X-Villion mm-hmm. thing to say, right? Oh, mm-hmm. X-Files. Yeah. If our government's bad. We should do an X-Files episode. Uh, I mean, we have to. Oh, just quick little housekeeping. Language. Sure. Uh, in terms of swearing. English. So keep the swearing in English. Got it? I can do that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Lexi has a personal thing where she cuts out uh, uh, fuck word. F bombs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, that hasn't stopped me or Jess from including them when we say yeah. anything. Okay. Sounds good. I don't say them. Other people can say okay. them. I can do yeah. that. Although the way I just said it made it the most awkward swear word anyone has ever heard. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> it's terrible. I like that. That is not a great. No. It's no. the long, drawn out F that really gets me. Fuck. Uh, and that seems like a great place to hit the theme song. Welcome back. This is Dork Matters. Uh, I am your dad, Dork host, Ben Rankle. And with me, as always, is... Lexi, your Star Trek loving dork. Lovely. And we have a special surprise guest uh, for this episode. And uh, why don't you introduce introduce yourself there? You nearly had... I've done some bad intros before. You were so close. So close. You tried. Uh, let's try to do it. I am... Oh, sorry. I'm just going to do a clean into you again, if that's okay. So Jess can cut around it. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. She's not going to. She's going to leave this all in. Uh, Why don't you introduce... Holy shit, I fucked it up again. (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourself? Do you want me to go? I can leave. This is why we should not record at 8.30 after a week of watching two children. Yeah. I'm tired. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself for us, Steph? All right, I am Steph Girk, your your local resident massive Trekkie, sci-fi nerd, occasional nurse, occasional writer, and just overall just a big dork. I love, love it. it. Yes. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. I feel right at home here already. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we first met where? Um, at uh, mutual friend Curtis and Shannon's house. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I guess we've only met in person once and then just sort of been internet uh, friends since then. 
That's right. We did that. Uh, we did that role playing game with a Wendigo. Yeah. What was that? It was a Wendigo. Oh, sorry. Could you say that again? Yeah. Uh, oh, I still don't understand what word that is. <laughs> we played that role playing game with a Wendigo monster, and I died. Yes. I yes. had to go be sick, so I died a horrible death right away. <laughs> I remember. Gosh. It's all coming yeah. back to me now. Yes. Uh, and there's sort of a kinship around sort of. Uh, the religious upbringing yep. and ostracization mm-hmm. that that can bring that we uh, share with Curtis as well. We don't have to get into that though. Although I often try. And then also all the fun of living in Alberta. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Yes. Although you had a dalliance, whereas Alexi and I are committed yeah. for some reason. Well, me more than you. Well, Ben, you left. I did leave. You, you moved away. I've been here the whole time. Oh boy. Uh, Alexa, you're really strong for that. Yeah, you haven't taken your break. I. It's not that for a lack of trying. I tried to move to Toronto. It did not work out. <laughs> what are we gonna do in Toronto? I okay. This is actually a good story. Or Toronto, if you will. Toronto. Toronto, Ontario. Was it? I I got a, a an interview at the Harborfront Center to do an art residency there. Cool. And I flew out there, and I was super super nervous, and it was hot as hell. The difference in humidity between where we live and Toronto, big difference. I was in a panel interview with like seven people and I was sweating so bad that when it came time to stand up and go look at the work, the chair stuck to my butt. And then I, when I stood up, it came up with me and then it fell and clattered on the ground and then <laughs> left a big wet ass print in the chair. I did not get that residency. And you know because what? of the chair, because you wrecked their chair. No, because I was shit at art. So I mean, it was just <laughs> just the shitty cherry on top of that embarrassment cake. But wow. uh, yeah, I tried. I, I like the theory of blaming the chair. <laughs> and and Steph, how long were you in uh, Alberta for? You were in Calgary, right? Yeah, I was in Calgary, and I think I, I honestly it was one giant blur because uh, I worked in an office, so I lived the office life. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was like three to four years. Wow, I didn't realize it was that long. Wow. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of everything. Dabbled in the downtown office core, went to school there for a bit. Uh, Where at? I went to SAIT. Cool. Yep, I took some courses at SAIT before I decided that uh, the hellish landscape that is Calgary, I'm sorry, Albertans, was not for me. It's fair. Totally fair. It's okay. I vacillate between trying to talk my partner into moving and uh, saying things like, fuck it, I love this city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me where the pendulum is right now. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, I took a year in Vancouver um, earlier on uh, after after my college experience was complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't work out. And I came back to Calgary via four months in Saskatoon just to remind myself that it, it can always be worse. <laughs> aww, aww. I'm sorry, yeah. Saskatoon. I, I appreciated my time there. Uh, I could not find a job in Saskatoon and I didn't want to stay. <laughs> you think the winters are bad in Calgary and then oh. you go one province over and you're just like, nope. I was there for the summer and spring. Oh, you didn't even... <laughs> I still oh, didn't stay. On, I still didn't stay. I was like, oh, this is like Calgary, but slightly worse. You got the best Saskatchewan had to offer. Uh, it was nice to see the sky again after leaving Vancouver, though. Mm-hmm. And oh, remind yeah. yourself what it's like to actually be able to see blue. Sunshine. As you've surely guessed at this point, we are here to talk about Star Trek. Uh, specifically... The best holodeck episodes. Um, 
Yeah, that's great. So how do you want to do this, Lexi? We usually we usually work this out in real time. You just want to go one for one here, shot for shot. Yeah, tit for tat. Let's do it. Yeah, because we were we were supposed to choose three, right? Three. We found yep. that uh, that's about as many as we get through, and then we all start to add in extra ones, and it usually gets off oh, the yeah. rails. But that's okay. We'll start out with the best of intentions and let it get out of hand. Because mm -hmm. I'm full on ready for a debate for this, so I came prepared. I I don't know about you, but. Uh, Anytime I talk about Star Trek, whether it's in real life or on a podcast, I make notes. They're actually on my phone here right now. I've got my notes here. Yes. I mean, my notes are smaller, but I've got them too. Oh, perfect. Are they cited? They are not. I've got, I started with one citation and then I stopped because I got distracted, but I definitely have my notes at the ready. I went more with feelings, things that I liked about the episodes, what make me appreciate them, um, that sort of thing. Boo, be a dork, wear your notes. <laughs> Wait, I just showed you. Did you miss that? There's my notes. Oh, no, yeah, you do have notes. Never mind. I just said they were shorter than yours. I take that back. I take back the boo. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah thank you. Oob. I thought that too. <laughs> Oh, that's just the lighting in my studio. <laughs> Here's my notes, yeah, ding dong. Yeah, yeah, I actually thought you were just showing us a blank screen, so I thought you were being sarcastic about the notes. <laughs> you can't see yeah. it on my uh, on our podcast, but I I do have notes. Uh, one word is spelled incorrectly, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> I'm a busy parent. I don't have time to spell all the words correctly. I did take notes as well. I don't think you could do this awesome. episode without like stopping oh. to think about why you appreciate it. Each of these like holodeck yep, shows. It's true. They're so good. Well, let's get into it without further ado. This is intimidating. I'm not used to I'm not used to going first. Oh, you don't do have it. to if you don't feel comfortable. No, no, no. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Because <laughs> okay. I have I have so much to say about this particular episode that I may spend too much time on it. So I kind of feel like I need to do this one straight out the gate. I like it. Um, All right, let's go. So full disclosure, uh, I am a huge Deep Space Nine fan. Um, okay, good. In the recent rewatch I did, it started to become actually one of my favorite Star Treks. So I do idolize it a lot, uh, which means that I do watch the show with rose-colored glasses. Um, so my pick, because I picked one for just one for Deep Space Nine, and it's our man Bashir. It's so unusual for you to have secrets. Oh, I must have picked up that habit from you. Oh, good choice. <gasps> oh. Hey, that's a fun one. Yes, good one. That is not what I would have expected. Yeah, so anyone who's not familiar with Deep Space Nine in this particular episode, uh, Julian Bashir, the resident uh, doctor on Deep Space Nine, he is going on a fun little James Bond-esque adventure that gets crashed by our real spy, Garrick. And then together, they essentially have what is what I like to call one of their a date. Yeah. They have a date in the holodeck that ends up with real-life consequences because the crew gets trapped. Um, it absolutely is a date, and thank you for pointing that out. Garrick did not... Yep get to fully express his sexuality during Deep Space Nine, but we we know where he stood, and yeah. it was yeah. always directly behind Bashir, trying to always. give him a little bit of a shoulder rub. Uh-huh. Always. And it's just, it's such a good episode, because at this point in time, um, they've already been having their lunch dates for a very long time. In fact, the episode ends with them talking about having lunch at Bashir's. Um uh, but yeah, it's it's a really strong episode because, first off, it's a turning point for Bashir himself because he's still a character that everyone is growing to like. 
And because he comes off as that very hot-headed know-it-all doctor that everyone hates in the early days. And he's starting to become a little bit more lovable, a little bit more exciting. You got James Bond, then you got Garrick, who's going around making innuendos and just cracking all the jokes, mixing it in with a little bit of his dark spy humor. And then on top of that, um, it actually ends up being um, a really good episode because a lot of the side characters are the ones who end up saving the day because the main cast themselves are trapped in the holodeck and they're playing big, giant, dramatic versions of themselves in essentially a spy novel. Um, and then so you've got characters like Odo and Rom, who hasn't gotten a chance to shine before, but Rom gets to be all techie and help save the day. We like to go on tangents here. So if you don't mind me just jumping in here for a second, yeah. like Rom as a character in Deep Space Nine, his development and his sort of like fan favoritism and his sort of just sort of trajectory throughout that show is one of my favorite things about Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. is Rom goes from being this idiotic sort of comedic relief to being uh, just one of the most interesting, rounded and like sort of like normal, well-balanced characters on the entire station. And uh, it's a delight to see that sort of secondary cast expand on that show. And and that is personally what I loved a lot about Deep Space Nine is they did a really good job of taking their side characters. Me too. And then giving them story arcs and, and giving them full-blown um, character growth instead of just shoving them to the sideline and bringing them in for jokes every mm -hmm. now and again. I would say it's one of the things I consider my least favorite about Discovery is the sort of inability of that show to ensemble the cast and i know yeah. that's not what they were going mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. that was never really the intent but it's just something i've always appreciated about star trek is those episodes that go off with some of the characters to make sure we get to know them as well as as your main sort of point of view exactly yeah, agree. so you mean i'm drunk like my picard centric episodes were great but i i want you know the occasional wesley episode or uh road laren or whatever yes Oh, I love the Wharf episodes, like learning more about like, I'll talk about it in a bit, but just like the the little nuanced relationships that really help you to form a connection with the characters and really, really like that resonates with me and why I felt like growing up the TNG cast were my family. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. TNG. Lexi's adopted family. <laughs> oh, I bet. I am the... I have such a soft spot for found family and weird ensembles of characters who come from all different parts of life mm. and they start to form a family. And that's why Deep Space Nine is one of my favorites because it's just, first off, it has more aliens out of all the Star Trek shows put together. There's something I appreciate totally. as well. And they have to learn how to coexist because it's not like they're coming onto the Enterprise where everyone's a professional, everyone's gone through Starfleet. We don't have that in Deep Space wow. Nine. We just have a bunch of aliens who just are forced to coexist and learn how to That's do a it. Great point. Yeah, I never thought about that. And yeah. on a on a station that isn't there, technology. They're working with Cardassian technology. Tarek Nor. Yep. One of our point of view characters runs a bar. It's great. He runs a bar and arguably other things <laughs> on the station. Because I'm a person yeah many many other things the sex trade on the station via the hollow suites and and just whatever nefarious thing he can get his hands into <laughs> comes through yeah it's pretty great heart of heart of gold armin shimmerman is probably one of my favorite 
favorite actors in Star Trek. He's so good. The, the strength of that cast mm-hmm. alone is amazing. Another great thing about Armand Bashir is it came out actually uh, almost like at the same time as a James Bond film. And I think if I remember correctly, that was intentional. It was intentional and it was uh, actually 10 days later. Oh, wow. Oh. That close. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah. But speaking of James Bond, they actually got sent an infringement letter from MGM (gasps) after that episode came out. There was nothing they could do, but they were essentially like, hey, this is a little, you're hitting a little too close to home. Your homage isn't appreciated. It's way too obvious of a James Bond story. I mean, but it had aliens. Calm down, MGM. So that's why we never really saw much of the Julian Bashir spy stories really after that, because they were... They kind of had to pump their brakes a little bit. That's disappointing. And we end up in Vegas instead. Mm. Yeah. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. pick. I love it. I will just say this because I always like to throw in a little quote. (laughs) Right at the end of the episode, I thought this quote that uh, you fellow creators would appreciate. Garrick says, indulging in fantasy helps keep the mind creative. And it reminds us, hey, you know, indulging in things like Star Trek and all these other things help keeps our mind creative so we can survive our life. Mm-hmm. yeah and as a creative also like the things that you draw on in order to be creative are the other medias that you take in in order to give you shit to throw in that blender and churn up and spit back out <laughs> like if you don't bring in media and don't like watch media and watch how stories are told you're never going to be able to approach storytelling in a way that might feel satisfying to an audience Yep. I'm sure you could do some interesting experimental stuff, but I think it's critical. So that's really cool. Awesome. Wonderful. Good quote. I did not do quotes. We're getting shown Aww. up on our show. I love it. I love it. Steph came to win. <laughs> uh, I didn't know you could win Dork Matters, but Steph is winning. Steph is winning Dork Matters. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I want a crown after this is done. At least a trophy of some sort. I'll see <gasps> what we've got lying around here. Good idea. I like that. Should we get a trophy and just give it to the best guest we have? I think we should, <laughs> yes. And just insult everyone else that's ever been on. They don't need to know. Everybody gets a trophy. Yeah, participation ribbons for some, and for Steph, a trophy. Thank you. I definitely want the trophy now Now that I, now that you've mentioned it. Like, I will come to you. I will <laughs> force myself to go to Alberta to get this trophy. Oh, the best defense I have is where we live. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> you have to come to Alberta. <laughs> Uh, I love Alberta, um, but we won't get into that um, while appreciating its flaws. Much like Canada, I appreciate uh, parts of what that is while accepting the responsibility of what it is not and what it has done wrong. It's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm frantically trying to like stall for time now so I can look up quotes for my episodes. (laughs) I'm leaning into it. I have no quotes and I like... If you're wondering why I'm just like talking bullshit, it's not my usual reason of just... (laughs) Do you want me to go while you look? Yeah, Lexi, you you take us into the next one for yourself and uh, I will... I'll do what I can here. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the TNG holodeck story. And it's my favorite one. Um, top. I, normally I don't do things in order. I just kind of do the smattering. But this is my most favorite episode. It is in my top three episodes of all Star Trek. Um, TNG. And it is Ship in a Bottle. Computer and program. I think it's from season six. And it is. Is that the Moriarty episode? It is the Moriarty episode. It's the second oh, good Moriarty choice. episode. I'm just going to say good choice to everything you two choose. Because <laughs> every episode is fun. It's, there's so many good episodes. I love that one so much. And so um, Elementary, My Dear Data, which is 
a great title, let's just put it out there, is the precursor to it and sets it up um, a couple seasons prior. But mm-hmm. um, Ship in a Bottle basically has Moriarty becoming sentient within Holodeck. And it creates this like world within a world within a world. And I love it so much because a whenever I picture Sherlock Holmes, I always picture Data in like a smoking jacket, even if I'm reading like original Sherlock, like it's it's always Data and Jordy, always. It's either him or Benedict Cumberbatch, so. It always has to be Data. No, it's Data. It's always Data. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be Data. Prince Spiner is the one I'd think of too. But I just love that concept. Like we've talked about a few times just about what is humanity and what is reality, especially in the world of technology when things aren't so simple. And that's what I love about the holodeck is it really allows us to kind of approach those themes And there's a couple episodes in TNG that approach that, but I think this was the first time that it was done in a way that was really kind of touching. Mm -hmm. And then a great use of the cast as well. Like everybody played their part in it. And again, like if you're like a true Trekkie to kind of see when are they interacting with their actual counterparts and when is it a holodeck um, mirage, if you will. I love that. Yeah. Going with that one. That's my fave. Yeah. Uh, when they send them off in that cube at the end, it's it's oh, it's lovely. It's really cool. It it takes a the idea of an archetype of a villain and uh, sort of shows the concept of growing past the sum of your parts and what you become when you gain your own awareness for what's going on in the world. And I find that heartwarming in a lot of ways. I really uh, I don't know the actor's name who played Moriarty, but he was pretty great. Um, he was the butler on the nanny. I think it was like David. You're right. Oh my God. With uh, Fran Drescher. Holy crap. That just got to me. Wow. Way to go. Daniel Davis. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah. wow. You won Fran Drescher. Don't come to play, Ben. Um, I'm not going to win it all tonight. <laughs> the, what I loved about that is, so Moriarty creates a love interest for himself because he's lonely and he's aware. And he creates a counterpart who is... She's not a supervillain. And I really like the relationship between the two of them. And I think it was Picard who's talking to her about like, he's a bad guy. And she really challenges Picard about, well, what is a bad guy? And I just like that, that it really fleshed out the character and the archetype of that like arch villain and what we think about Moriarty. So yeah, tens across the board. I love that episode. It's a lot of fun. Also, Jordy and Data together is my favorite friendship. Yes, always good. So amazing. It's a a type of friendship I don't necessarily uh, remember having myself growing up, but that sort of like little boy pals kind of friendship that you get with them, and then also like Tom Paris and Ensign Kim, and like I know I love it. Yeah, for some reason that really works. Even like Jake and uh, and and Nog in DS Nine too. So like for some reason that really works on Star Trek. Be- yeah. I don't know if it's because it's removed from sort of aspects of like toxic masculinity that mm. exist in like that bromanship in real life, but I appreciate it. I guess I kind of wish I had that. People having healthy relationships with friends where they just support each other and yeah. oh. they go and have adventures together and they have new experiences together and and support, and support each, each other. other and star trek is really good yeah. about giving us the smatterings of those relationships because like data and Jordy, we see them together all the time and we and they talk about how they're going on these adventures so it feels really natural even though it's really subtle mm-hmm. at times i really like it i really appreciate that about those anyhow lexi great pick yeah 
Um, excellent work. No quotes, though. Um, I don't know if we're going to have debates as much as just like supporting each other's. Oh, great choice. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. Hey, be a data and a Jordy. Just support each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to stomp on what somebody else wants to think is a good holodeck episode when I just love Star Trek. Like, <laughs> like They're all awesome. I'd be really interested if any of you picked a what is deemed a bad one. I don't think there is a bad one, but I'm, I'm curious. No such thing. Yeah. I think maybe if you chose an episode that didn't have any sort of like key element of... Uh, of holodeck like there are some that start in holodeck and maybe you don't stay there but like there's always like a key element to it maybe then i'd be like is that really a holodeck episode yeah that's fair but that would be more of you made a bad choice as opposed to it being a bad episode yeah Yeah, as it being a bad episode good point um yeah that's the great thing about holodeck that i wanted to touch on too before we get into like my pick and then our our mid mid episode break is uh is just sort of as a as a storytelling device. It's really clever for a future show to allow themselves to save budget and also just like escape their setting uh, easily. I've always appreciated the holodeck as as that sort of storytelling. Uh, I guess to say the exact same thing I said already, storytelling device. It's really fun, and you get to like jump into other genres and tropes and settings, and and not have to be beholden to sort of the rules that you've already made up for yourself. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, my first one is going to be a TNG as well. I'm going with Emergence. Ooh. It is an episode that a lot of people uh, consider boring <laughs> and not their favorite. And to me, it's sort of quintessentially Star Trek. Um, it's kind of Picard light, which is uh-huh. always interesting since I love Picard so much. And yet it works more or less without him this episode. And it's always interesting when you get those sort of off the main character episodes. Uh, it's also sort of a non-violent, non-action conflict, um, which I know a lot of Star Trek is, but like especially nowadays, I think it's worth talking about. Like, the worst thing that happens is I think one of these characters in the holodeck shoots another one of the hollow characters at one point um, for stealing a brick. Which, if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, you know the sort of big idea at the end of this episode. So basically. The Enterprise starts becoming sentient, starts growing something using the holodeck, and uh, eventually that thing comes to fruition with the assistance of the um, Enterprise crew and is let loose into the universe. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but somebody asked Picard, like, why are you comfortable letting this thing that we know nothing about uh, jump out there and just escape into the universe, given how like powerful it could be or how evil, et cetera? And he says, like, at some point, we have to be comfortable that the ideals that we hold and what we create with them are a good thing. So if we can't trust ourselves in that way, like what's what's the point in any of this? Why are we out here? Why are we doing it? And I, I thought that was cool, especially as a parent. Ben coming in with a quote. Uh, yeah, pseudo quote. And that isn't even the one I looked up. <laughs> much, much worse. Uh, I was right. He was trying to make off with my brick. <laughs> It's the hitman character after he shoots the, uh, the sort of vagabond character yeah. who steals one of these building uh, blocks of uh, whatever it's called, Vertiform City or something silly like that. But yeah, as a parent, it, it resonates. But it's, it's a funny thing you mentioned that, that made me realize that TNG actually does let a lot of aliens or creations just go off into the world quite a bit. Yeah. Like, oh, we created this suspicious thing. Okay, bye now. Be free. Oh, constantly. Yeah. 
Well, and they have to justify it. And I think that's sort of the sort of crux for, I have a lot of criticisms for TNG just based on sort of the era it's created out of mm-hmm. and sort of the homogeneity that comes out of, oh God, I said that so bad, but we're just going to roll with it. Uh, that comes out of that sort of 90s version of utopia that like the Clinton era utopia. I've talked with Lexi about this before, mm-hmm. but like you see that in TNG where equality equals conformity. And I think we've learned in the following decades that that is a, in itself a form of oppression and racism is is sort of this belief that everyone should conform to a specific version of ideals and that this sort of Eurocentric ideal is the right one for everyone to conform to. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot of that in in a lot of those TNG episodes. The jumpsuit era. Yes. But it is interesting when they say like, you know, we have to believe that the things that we, we believe in and that we instill into this thing because it's made up out of our holodeck programs and what we do and what we think and dream and how we play that that means that it'll be a good thing. So that was, that's cool. That's interesting. And it gives me hope that maybe I won't fuck up with my kids. (laughs) That maybe I've got, you know, enough in me, even by accident, that I could set, you know, two people off into the universe to do something that isn't terrible. Well, the bar, good news is the bar is probably much lower than you think it is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a few key things that I hope I can impart, but yeah. uh, You know, if it's, Versus the previous generation I came from. Yeah, it shouldn't be too hard to step over that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're about halfway through, so it's time to do our favorite part of the show, which is, who's that Pokemon? Da-na-na-na-na. I'm so excited. Do you have a Pokemon ready? <laughs> I'm going to bow out of oh. this one. <laughs> no, it, it might not be a Pokemon. That's the joy of it. Oh, okay. You can be a guesser. You don't have to be uh, the person. I'm going to be that blind guesser that will just name every Pokemon they know. And that's, that's going to be my guess, and it's not even going to be close. Perfect. So here's the trick. It's not necessarily an actual Pokemon. Sometimes it's an object <laughs> from behind you. <laughs> I like this even less. <laughs> ben, do you have one ready to go? I've got one in mind. No, of course not. I never do. Okay, you do it then. Is it a real Pokemon or not a real Pokemon this week? It is not a real Pokemon. Okay, good. Okay. So we're playing object, animal, mineral, etc. Yes. Um, okay. Okay. And Lexi's going to give us a silhouette, and we're going to do our best. Um, okay, I'm going to try to describe it. It's like um, an oval okay. surrounded by a, a, a softened rectangle an oval. with a jerry curl at the top. An oval hmm. surrounded by uh, with a jerry curl. Is this a Star Trek insignia? It's blue. Warmer. Warmer. Mm. I okay. I have to say, Lexi, your hand gestures are not helping. <laughs> what do you mean? I have I, no idea what you're talking about. It's like you're fisting the air. It's awful. I can't. Like, is yeah. You've made the weird object, and now your fist is going into it. I'm directing air traffic right now. You're trying to make a square, but it's the worst square I've ever seen because it's not at all. Wow. Uh, is it a pig? <gasps> How dare you? No. No? Is it Peppa Pig? Peppa Pig. Absolutely not. Okay. okay, we were closer when I said it was the Star Trek, whatever it's called, Delta. We're, we're closer in the Star Trek realm. I'll, I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to, can I cheat and I, can I Google Star Trek insignia? It's not an insignia, but it has something to do with Star Trek. Okay. 
Well, that doesn't narrow it down as much as I would have hoped. Star Trek pig. I love that you just keep repeating <laughs> this handshake in the air as if it's helping. <laughs> you should draw it on a piece of paper, the silhouette, oh, yeah. and then show us. Oh, I don't have a paper. Okay, can we get another hint? Yeah, let's get a hint. It's a beautiful ready orange color that's not as helpful as i thought it was gonna be is it a pumpkin in a square in a box no no it is not no what the hell i give up yeah i'll give up <laughs> can't let this drag on we have to we have to do the rest of the show it is gates mcfadden's beautiful quaffed bangs and haircut oh. as dr beverly crusher you know what it makes a lot of sense now i'm not even mad good job thank you she had the best hair she had amazing hair that like big swoop bang oh i'm so excited for her to be back next season in picard i know i did i ever tell you about when we met her no and I'm surprised. I might have talked about it on the first episode. I've met yeah. Jonathan Frake several times, Gates McFadden. Um, I was going to call him Jordy LaForge, and I was like, that's not right. Yeah, he <laughs> prefers to be uh, referred to by his actual name. Yeah, that's fair. LeVar Burton, and then Patrick Stewart. Um, LeVar Burton is the single kindest human I've ever met in my life. Oh, so amazing. He seems like he would be. But um, we met Gates McFadden. He so my sister and I made matching reading rainbow t-shirts. Oh and when God. it came our time to meet him, he looked over and he yelled reading rainbow and started jumping up and down and we were like, "Yeah!" and he was so nice. He gave us hugs, high fives, he put his arms around us, and then later in the day cuz this was at um Comic Expo, he was walking across and he yelled, "Megan, Lexi!" have a good night see you later and i was like holy shit he remembered our name and said goodbye to us in front of like all these other nerds and it honestly like made my life better anyway we also met gates mcfadden and my sister is a scientist and we waited in line to see her because my dad loves her and we got an autographed um, photo for him and then my sister just kind of blurted out mm, i'm in science because of you and they had this like long drawn out conversation where Gates McFadden was talking about like, oh, my children are in the sciences. And I have so many women that tell me that they were inspired by the character. And she really like spent the time talking to my sister about like, oh, what do you study? And it was just so lovely. And I feel like I'm going to get choked up. I just, it was so kind of her to do that. So it was great. I love her. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the end of Who's That Pokemon? <laughs> Da, na, 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 na. <laughs> I love you, Beverly. The Pokemon is Gates McFadden. Uh, and we're back. It's Beverly Crusher. Da, na, 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 na. Her hair. Her hair. All right, we should keep moving. Steph, you got your next one for us? Yeah, all right. So my pick for number two, we're going into Voyager. I picked the amazing two-parter, The Killing Game. Oh. We penetrated this vessel. The Herogen. The Killing Game is the episode where this Herogen species, Ben, I love that you remember that off the top of my head. We're best friends now. <laughs> I rewatch all oh, the yeah. Star Treks like every couple of years. I rewatch everything. Do you? Oh, yeah. I fucking oh, love Star Trek. So good. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so happy. Okay. You're, you're invited into the Star Trek club now that I have. <laughs> I'm actually due for a redo on Voyager. It's been, it's been a few years. Right, we'll get into that one next. Uh, yeah, so the Herogens take over Voyager and they force, essentially mind wipe all the characters and force them to play a part of their killing game. 
uh, where the Herogens is a species. They just love to hunt people. The thrill of the hunt is their game. And they force all the characters of Voyager to be a part of varying scenarios. And this is where it gets really good because the scenario that they choose is World War II. Not an unfamiliar scenario in the Star Trek universe, but it's an amazing one because the costumes are brilliant. We have uh, Captain Janeway. She's just wearing like a white suit. She runs like a bar in France and absolutely gorgeous. Uh Everyone's a badass. And then Harry Kim. Casablanca. Harry Kim, who essentially, unfortunately, rarely gets to do anything. He ends up saving the day with the doctor. But the reason that I chose this episode, beyond its its brilliance, is that um, it's the start of where we see the long-term effects of uh, an action that the Voyager crew does. We don't really get to see that much in the show because they are traveling through different sectors of space. Um, but in this instance, they curl tail the development of the Herogen species so much by giving them holodeck technology that they actually end up doing harm to the development of the Herogens. And it's an action that they end up having to, mm-hmm. to try to work through later on in the series. And I really love that because it's a, it's, it's a good point of being like, we go in with our ideals and our and our plans and we throw them on other people without thinking about the long-term ramifications of what it could do. But because it solves our immediate problem with how other people live, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. It's very imperialistic mm-hmm. to not worry about the context of, of things uh, in that. Right. Choosing bad words, but you know. Yeah. And Voyager's super bad for it because they're just like, well, we're passing through. We don't care what happens. See you guys later. Yeah, the ethics of Voyager really yeah, kind of questionable. Like who you are in an emergency is kind of who you actually are sometimes. And so if in a panicked moment, mm-hmm. you know, you're far flung across the galaxy, you are with people you don't know and you're just trying to get home. Do you become like your Lord of the Flies version of yourself where you're kind of like, I know that in Starfleet we're not supposed to mess around, but like, ah, I want to go home. So peace out. And like Steph, like you're getting at, it's like one of the more interesting episodes of Voyager because we actually have to see, um, you know, the results of things that they've chosen to do. And we don't get that enough in Voyager. It's one of the, the biggest criticisms I have of that show is that they hand wave away way too many interesting things. And uh, yeah. And then we never see them again. Yeah, this is one of the instances that we don't. We get those chickens coming home to roost at some point. Yeah. We get that with Seska too a little bit, which is kind of cool, especially after they sort of just dump the entire marquee. The marquee and the, like the Curzon species as well. Yeah, they kind of, yeah, they kind of just dump on that. Like, oh, now we're all Star Trek and we don't have to worry about this really cool conflict we had in the first couple episodes, the idea of trying to put these yes. crews together to survive. It's too bad. There's a lot of mispotential in Voyager, but that is one of the yeah. episodes I think really, really nails that kind of concept, and I, I appreciate it. Good choice. And and we get to see all the characters do different things, too. Yeah, and you get to see Hirogen be Nazis. Yes. <laughs> These guys are like, who should we be in this video game that we're setting up for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't know the context. Let's be the ones with the black suits. The Nazis seem like the fun guys here. Yeah. They got the skulls on their hats, so they must be the good ones. 
Yeah, they got the cool outfit. We're like, oh God. The thing is too, the production crew of Voyager essentially went behind the scenes and everything that they made for the Nazis is incredibly detailed and accurate. Interesting. They went above and beyond for that. Do you think somebody pulled that out of their personal collection? It was just like, I, uh, <laughs> I, have, I made this. I'm not a Nazi. Yeah, I could name some names, but I'm sure, I'm sure there were a couple of them. I'm sure there were. <laughs> just pull it out. I, I don't wear this every weekend to cosplay around right. my house. <laughs> uh, okay, Lexi, let's keep moving. What do you got? What do you got for your next one? Okay, um, my second favorite also comes from TNG, and it is Fistful of Datas. Computer and program. Because A, the title is amazing. Yeah. Right? You I knew. expected this one to show up on somebody's list. You knew it. I... I love Data so much, um, almost as much as I love Jordy. But we can tell he's my favorite. <laughs> but I just like I love the premise of their everybody's kind of working. Is Data sexy? I need to take a, a second here. Is Data sexy? I say yes. I think his brain is sexy. Okay, I mean that's enough. He's too much like a child. Like I see him yeah. as like a mm, okay. I see where we're getting the childlike nature and wonder of him makes him a non-sexual entity to me because yeah. of that. Well. Tasha would say differently. Tasha would say differently. Yeah. He's fully functional. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you about the childlike thing. It almost makes it uncomfortable knowing that they did that. Once you say that, it is a little weird. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, but I I love the storyline of Worf is desperately trying to find something to do so that he doesn't have to go hang out in the holodeck with Alexander. Shitty dad Worf. First appearance. I love that he's like, he's, he's grasping at straws and people are like no go away and he finally is like oh okay and then they go to the holodeck and i just i love alexander mm-hmm. i think that that little dynamic oh that kid was so cute he was so cute and just the dynamic between the two of them was so fascinating it kind of reminded me of that cartoon of like the big sheepdog and a little cat and the yeah. cat was like all feisty and then the big sheepdog anyway yeah yeah from looney tunes yeah. right and just, I love the the Old West. And then I really feel like it gave Brent Spiner time to really shine and see the range of things. So the data of it all starts taking on this Wild West persona in on the Enterprise. But then all the characters in the holodeck slowly start becoming data. And I just loved the range. I thought it was hilarious and super, super campy and just so much fun. And... I just like to see like that father son dynamic kind of flush out in its own very, very unique way. So I'm, I'm going with this full of data for my pick number two. I love it. I, I have a quick question for you all then. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of shitty dad, Worf, <laughs> uh, do you think Alexander will be mentioned when Worf shows up in the next oh, season of Star Trek Picard? I so hope so. I, I am so. racking my brain right now. I know he has sort of a like a not great end in DS9, which is probably one of my least favorite things from DS9 is where they sort of leave Alexander, but I cannot remember specifically what happened. So I'm mm. I'm going to Google. Alexander, I'm pretty sure Alexander just fucks off to space somewhere and is like, bye dad, you suck. Because he joins um the Klingon sort of like empire for a bit yeah he goes full klingon um which is hard for him because he's not in fact full klingon no he is not no he is not no 
I'm trying to catch up here. Uh, but, you know, Worf didn't help with nope. that. Worf had his own issues that he severely needed to look at and then said he protected them before yeah. Alexander. Like, when your kid shows up and it's like, hey, Dad, can we play a Wild West game? And you try to avoid it? And Worf is just like, oh, yes. I don't really want to. Well, he's not a merry man. Oh, he's definitely not a merry man. Yeah. Uh, no, it gives me more feels now than it used to, that sort of concept of just being so divorced from a thing that needs you to care for them. It's, It's... It's hurtful. I guess it hit in a different way, I guess, when I was younger before I realized what was going on in my own family life. But uh, um, yeah, Alexander ends up on the Yavang in the uh, service of the Klingon Empire. That's the last time we see him uh, trying to oh, yeah. get some honor. Poor Alexander. No, they'll kill him off screen. That could be it. Like, Or, or Worf will deny ever being a father. <laughs> Which would not be a lie. He was never really a father to Alexander. Or he'll get Echebbed. Oh, yes. Uh, gotta. Uh, uh, just, we're just going to have to ignore Picard. I, I have been. I'm not going to get into okay, Picard. Okay, a short, a short divergence. Not a fan of Picard? Okay, so full disclosure, I am not fully caught up on Star Trek Picard. Okay, that's all right. Um, but that's okay because I, I have been spoiled and I'm okay with being spoiled because the more I'm spoiled, the more I am unlikely to watch. And I, TNG is, biased review, not my top Star Trek. So I was already kind of struggling to get into it, but I love Picard and I love the idea of the cast. So I did watch it. Very disappointed. It struggles, I think, with the same thing that all the other that Discovery's been doing in the sense that mm. we're trying for a storyline that's not original, um, that's been done multiple times before, and we're focusing on one character instead of the strength of the diversity of a crew mm-hmm. and ensemble that all the other Star Treks have done. Yeah. I'd say if there's a strength to the second season, it's definitely that they've leaned. It feels way more Star Trek again. Um, they've leaned into the full cast in the second season. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I find interesting about Picard is I'm wondering what they do for the third season. Cause first season was body. Second season has uh, ostensibly been mind. And if you know the trio, it's supposed to be soul. So I wonder if they're actually intentionally trying to do a trifecta with those things. That's interesting. That would be a nice way to tie it all together. Like, I'm really hoping that at the end, it will be a wonderful three-arc story. Uh, Yeah, I'd say, like, for me, Picard, I liked sort of the new direction of Picard. I liked that it wasn't aesthetically or cast-wise exactly the same. Um, I think it really kind of stumbled towards the end and didn't really stick the landing it felt like it got smaller and less ambitious the further it went Mm -hmm. from the beginning yeah i i agree i think there's a lot of like really near hits and then it's just like slightly missing the mark but i want to ask you both i have i feel like i'm in the minority here but michelle heard um her character i think she's a shit actress i cannot Mm -hmm. stand yeah. Raffi. Like yeah. I feel like it's overacting to the extreme. And I, I recognize that Star Trek is a little bit of like like campy acting, but yeah. it's so over the top than everyone else that I feel like I'm watching a high school drama production of No, it doesn't do that for me at all. I think I think Michelle Heard lands like every scene she's in. Really? Okay, maybe just me. It, it might just be you because I was going to say like Raffi was one of the one things I really, really? loved about okay. Yeah, she might be the strongest part of that show. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
everybody says that. And I'm like, am I, am I the only one? I think I'm the only one. Okay. Well, we don't dork shame here. Like the strokes land different for folks. You know, it's okay. If, no, if it's, it's what fine. she's doing doesn't fit for you. Yep. I, I want to like her. I like the dynamic of her and Jerry Ryan, but. Oof. Oh my God. It gets so much better in the second season yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot better. Oh, good. Good. I mean, because it just sort of happens at the end of Picard, and I think it was a, a bit unearned. I mean, but I also appreciate that that final scene might have been a, hey, we're probably never doing another episode of this. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just set up some funny things for yeah. next time. But yeah, I think uh, they're great together. Yeah. Uh, they get a lot of screen yeah. time together Second. In, in season mm-hmm. two, and I think it's been delightful so far. We went off on one of our patented tangents, yeah. didn't we? Okay, Ben, what do you, what do you got now? Is it me? Am I on my third? Uh, my second? Your second, yeah. Okay, I got to make sure I'm in the right spot. Uh, it's Take Me Out to the Holosuite, DS9. I failed to see why you are celebrating. This is an episode, again, that I don't think other people might list as their favorite. It is something you could actually describe as maybe being a boring episode, but it's one of my favorite character pieces of the entire uh, Deep Space Nine seven seasons. Uh, it is uh, a fallible and emotional and bullied Cisco, which is a fun thing to see. Cisco bullied and going back through that bullying that he sort of ran into and his own sort of inability to let go. And it's one of my favorite versions of Cisco that we get to see. I know everybody else wants to talk about in the pale moonlight Cisco, but uh, this is a Cisco I like who's angry, who's mean to his friends because he's you know, reliving a traumatic part of his younger years. Uh, it's, it's, it's really an interesting bit of character work for him. Mm. And it's silly as fuck. And I love silly. Uh, I love silly Star Trek. Uh, some of my favorite stuff. You get Rom trying to play baseball. Oh God, the stuff with Rom and just how mean Cisco is to him. It's, and then comes around and, and you get this really beautiful button on the episode at the end where Cisco does something that is very un-Cisco from, maybe not un-Cisco, but it's it's rare. You get an apology from from Benjamin Cisco mm-hmm. to somebody who he he treated disrespectfully, and I think it really sort of is a summary of the kind of person Benjamin Cisco is, and just like the acting chops of uh, uh, oh god, it sucks. Avery Brooks mm. sucks yeah. when it takes me a couple syllables before I can remember the words that should be in my head right away, but. <laughs> Avery Brooks is just fantastic. It's a great, uh, great bit of, of work from him and the entire cast in Stupid Baseball. Like we're in space. <laughs> it's the last season that they're getting and they fucking throw a whole episode into baseball with Vulcans. It's so silly and I love it. It is goofy. Yeah. Anything that is ROM positive. I see some ROM fans are definitely in this. <laughs> But I have to agree, like, it's actually also one of my favorite episodes for those reasons. Well, because it's utterly silly. They're all playing baseball. It's just all about this feud, even though we're all supposed to be working together because it's Starfleet. It's like, no, sometimes there's a personal vendetta. It's one of the things DS9 does great. It takes the veneer off of the Federation. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you have to put on a silly little outfit and play out all your feelings for baseball. (laughs) Yeah. And you get some great Wharf one-liners, which is my quote for this episode, which is death, death to the opposition. <laughs> death to the opposition. And Odo as the umpire, love it. He embraced that so much. Yeah. Oh my God, he's so good as the umpire. In his office, that scene where he's just sort of like, yeah, and screaming at like the data pad. And then Kira Norris walks by and has her like little like appreciation for this 
this weird alien she's fallen for. <laughs> just like, we're going to play this really weird game that not a lot of people understand. And modern day humans oh. still don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, I sure don't like it. Um, I, I do like that they chose baseball, though, instead of football. Because I feel like football is too much of a stereotype sport for mm-hmm. American-ish characters. So yeah, that's fair. It was nice to see baseball because baseball needs to get some love. Well, and it's set up as uh, Cisco's sort of game of choice from very early on in the series, which I appreciate. Also, you get that great scene with him and, um, oh God, I hate this. I hate that I cannot instant recall facts like other dorks and nerds. Um, <laughs> his love interest. Why can I not remember the character's name? Oh, Yates. Yates. Cassidy Yates. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, Cassidy Yates. So he gets this great scene where he's in his... Uh, his quarters with her and he's just throwing the biggest adult hissy fit that you've ever th- seen. Like, and he's going about and talking about how he's going to smash shit in his apartment. And this is like a character you have seen just command. Everybody is possibly a religious icon. And he's talking about smashing shit in his, in his uh, apartment because he can't win a baseball game against somebody who is physically stronger and, and like just <laughs> species wise, like he could not win against. And Cassidy's great in that. She's like, this is your fucking apartment. You want to break shit? Go for it. Oh yeah. I love Yates so much. She's an, she was an amazing character is an amazing character. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that I would have liked to seen a little bit more from in the show. And I feel like they kind of dropped, but I guess, you know, she comes in a bit late for writing purposes. Anyhow. So that's my, my second pick. Take me out to the hollow suite. Great pick. I thoroughly approve. Dang. It was on my list of maybes, but I was like, well, it's like they're playing baseball on the holodex. I wasn't sure if it was one of those ones that actually counted. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's fair. I mean, I think it definitely counts because it's dumb and silly. <laughs> and it's what I love about holodeck episodes is you yeah. get away from the trappings of space uh, and, and sci-fi and you get yes. to do just something ridiculous. And you get everyone in, in weird outfits. That's, yeah. the, that's actually the main yes. thing. What I love about the holodeck is you get everyone in their alien makeup oh, and then you throw them yeah. in a ridiculous costume, like a baseball uniform. Yeah. They're all wearing like Elizabethan frocks or pirates. Oh, and then I'm just jumping back to the killing game mm. really quick with Neelix having to wear Klingon makeup on top of his alien makeup. I completely forgot about that. That's so good. It was, I, yeah, the poor actor. Oh, we should do a Neelix episode because I feel like he's one of those characters that maybe on your first run through you think is a, a shitty character but comes around if you watch it again. See, this is where I will interject and say Neelix is a shitty character through and through. <laughs> See, I feel like he starts out that way because he's written really poorly as like an abuser and like a shitty mm-hmm. boyfriend with like a weird underage girl. Um, when they release that sort of dynamic, he ends up being this sort of like catch all guy, almost like the Dr. Flocks of the Enterprise or the Guinan where he's... No, don't you dare compare the two. Do no. you like Dr. Flocks? I love Dr. Flocks a lot. Yeah, me too. And he is nothing like Neelix. I feel like they're the one that people go to for that listening and that sort of um, perspective outside of their own experience, which is what I like about him. Yeah, because they're... It- in the instance of each of their shows, they're the true, they're like the alien alien. The true alien, yeah. They're the ones who come from different backgrounds, different circumstances, kind of have that little bit of like weird knowledge. Mm-hmm. So everyone comes to them, but they're not the same, Ben. They're very different. I'm losing my slipper, sorry. Slipper break. I thought I thought you were just hiding from me because I was getting really aggravated there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no. No, I want to see that. I want to see the intensity. That's what we're here for. Yeah, no, I will send you an essay later about why Flux and Neelix are not the same. I would say they fill a role in the shows that's archetypal for 
you know, what they're created for. Yes. Um, which is that listening, like by, by virtue of being literally alien characters, that's what you do with those as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Guinan type character. Yeah. Now, now I just want to do an episode on like underrated Star Trek characters. I'm going to bring up Wesley. (gasps) Lieutenant Barkley. The boy. Not the same. Oh, just... He's another character that people love to hate on. And then if you actually go back and rewatch these shows again as as you get older, you realize he was never that annoying or grating. He's just set up to be that for Picard. And so you uh, latch onto that as a viewer and think that, especially when you're younger and watching these shows. And then I think when you come back to them when you're older, you realize he's just literally a kid and doing actually a pretty fucking great job. So I'm going to stop you right there so I can go into my third choice. Okay. Because it all connects Ooh. together. Because my third choice is actually the TNG episode, uh, Hollow Pursuits. Oh, lovely. Here's to insubordination. Lieutenant Barkley does some very controversial things and creates a holodeck versions of the TNG crew. Yep. Um, it's one of my favorites because, well, for numerous reasons, we get introduced to Lieutenant Barkley, who is essentially the epitome of fans, or realistically what yeah. you and me would be like if we were ever in the Star Trek universe. We would become obsessed with the holodeck. Oh, yeah. And then we'd make our friends or people we idolize, and then we'd be like, hey guys, let's go on adventures together. Yeah. <laughs> and then just be those weird loners who just get so obsessed with living in our fantasy world. That we don't want to come back to the real world. Totally. And what's great about this episode is when, like, first watch, as I think I was 12 or something, I remember watching this and being like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, Mm. I've been coming home and watching TNG every day after school, and I don't know who this guy is. Now, okay, I've seen O'Brien's before. We've had the occasional talking, like, background character, but not this guy. Who is he? Why is he there? And Right? Who just shows up, takes charge? Yeah, he's great. It completely surprised me. But he's like the human equivalent of a chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> and when he first was introduced, I was like, look at this sniveling little bitch. But the older I get, the more I relate to him because that I, you're totally right, Stuff Like, I would be Barkley. I'd be, yeah. like, so intimidated by these, like, genius-level people. I'm surrounded by them. I'd be so nervous all of the time. And I just find him to be, like, you know, Ben, how we've talked about this like static everybody is this you know very homogeneous type of person except for Barkley he is just this weird Mm -hmm. whiny not really sure anxious Mm -hmm. person yeah he almost doesn't fit into Starfleet or at least the Starfleet we've seen up to that point yeah he totally doesn't and that's why I love him I like his character arc too over the different shows he's amazing yeah he's great I think totally under um underestimated him when i first but every time i rewatch it i love him more and more he is excellent yep. i love yep. that choice excellent he was also one of the first characters though to to really bring forth ethical dilemmas of the holodeck of where you start using real life people mm-hmm. in the situation and then you're doing things with them that yeah. are very controversial it is kind of fucked up it, it, cuz like voyager does goes forward and does that where they bring forth a yep. Cardassian war criminal to try to save a character or when Jordy goes and create and, and does the, the, the engineer, that genius engineer, yeah, doctor, what's her face? 
Yeah. And it's like they have a great connection, but it's also like it's the holodeck. These are real people that have existed or are mm-hmm. still existing. And you're forming weird relationships with the computer program version of themselves. It's a, it's a wonderful, like oh, yeah. we could debate for hours on the on the ethics of it. But I love it. It's just really the start of that. Did you catch in the TNG finale um, when they do go to talk to Jordy in that uh, possible future? He's married to somebody named uh, Leah, who's a doctor, apparently. Yes, I did. Isn't that interesting? Do you think it's her? Hmm. I don't know if I want it to be her. Because I feel like they had a rocky start. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. But also, Jordy has some issues I think he needs to work out. I think that's fair. We'll see where he is next season of Picard. Yeah. Also, we really also, just side note, we also got to see Troy do some mm. legitimate counseling, even yes. though TNG counseling was very wrong. Um, it was not the best no. real life version no. of counseling out there, but we got to see her actually counsel a character and try to work on their issues. It is a bright point of, uh, of discovery. Um, we get a more, more full and uh, sort of interesting look at counseling with Dr. Culber. Mm-hmm. Um, although he has been spending a lot of time dealing with his own issues lately. So yeah, not a lot of time counseling. It seemed like they were setting him up to be like the full on counselor character, but mm. uh, that show doesn't really work that way. <laughs> All right, Lexi, give us your last one. Let's keep going. Okay, my last one, and it's kind of along the same theme of that ethics of the holodeck, and it's so it's the big goodbye also from TNG. You're gone. Will this world still exist? They are in like the 1940s kind of detective storyline, and what I liked about that one was when Picard broke like the third wall in the holodeck to kind of address the holodeck characters that are asking like what's happening to us because they're starting to disappear and it's that real beginning cusp of the sentient part of those um ai beings the humanity of it and he he just kind of puts it out there and so talks about it with these characters and i i love that and then you see it years later in final fantasy 10 if we can kind of jump genres a bit here and again spoiler alert but in that game, it's the whole waking sleep, dream within a dream, what's reality, what isn't. And I just think that that's such a fascinating storyline that we get to address with uh, the holodeck is talking about the ethics of, you know, what is humanity, especially when it comes to technology, the interesting nature of the dream within a dream concept and storytelling. So and, and plus, like, who doesn't love? A 1940s style, like just the aesthetics of that episode, beautiful. Like Crusher has never looked better. What is the detective character's name? I'm blanking. It's like Dixon something. Yes, 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 Dixon. Yeah, and I just I think that they looked they they never looked better. They looked amazing. Yeah, that's what I got. Love it. I love it. It's also oh, Picard. Picard is so strong when he does those episodes because yes. we don't really get to see Picard be super personable. At times, he's very good at maintaining the distant captain role for so much of TNG. So it's like, oh, now we get a sneak peek in what he likes to do. Yeah. And he likes to to go and enjoy these holodeck situations where he gets to be in a gangster world and a detective. It's honestly what I like about the Picard series is that we get the personal side of Picard, even yeah. if mm-hmm. like a lot of the other stuff isn't working. Um, seeing a fallible human who 
put up a very strong front for a very long time and getting to see the humanity underneath is, is mm-hmm. interesting and compelling to me, even when they don't land it. Dixon Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dixon Hill. There we go. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. God, I love that that gets a cameo in um, um, First Contact. Oh, yeah. Um, when he's fighting the Borgs and he summons up the Dixon Hill sort of setting and oh, just grabs so the Tommy good. gun and just yeah. like losing his shit. And Neelix there too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing uh, Neelix was also a Ferengi in TNG. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, the yeah. same episode as Armin Shimmerman on that first Ferengi encounter where they're sort of weird sub versions of humans, like meant to be like a base human. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Uh, I love how Star Trek reuses like its, its favorite character actors. Um, and then you know if you're wearing prosthetics you can be cast a million times in different prosthetics so many times yeah um what's his face oh come on ben ben think i'm like blue bear (laughs) think think think. who are you thinking of deuce rage shren shren from enterprise yes he's he's, you know who i mean he's also like the the vorta guy everything oh why am i blanking on his name now too yeah he's in everything is it Coombs? Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs. Yes. There we go. I was going to say, it reminds me of Mr. Dressett's <laughs> name, go. which is Ernie Coombs. <laughs> Jeffrey Coombs. Yeah. Coombs is amazing. I want Coombs to show up in every Star Trek. I feel like it's criminal that he hasn't shown up in any of the other ones yet. In New Trek yet? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. It is criminal. He should be back. I'm going to blow you all's minds with my final choice. <gasps> Your final? What is it? I excretus. Come on, Borg baby. This time you're coming with me. It is from Lower Decks. Shut up. Yes. It is so good. Boimler-centric episode where we get to see why Boimler shines when he's on a proper Star Trek show. (laughs) Yes. And less so when he's on the Cerritos. Um, But he does get to shine. He gets to like just destroy the Borg in that hollow chamber. Yes. And God, just watching him, like, that that humor of watching him, like, every single take that he does, again. I love the, like, the scene of him, like, with all the Borg babies. Oh, my God, yes, he grabs him on the second run. That show is golden. And by, like, the fourth or fifth time going through, he's, like, dragging drones with him and the babies (laughs) under one arm. And he's, like, hit it. And then, like, blowing up the cube as well, transporting onto a ship. Wendler is is one of those characters that I almost, I never want to see him succeed because he's so great when he's failing. Yeah. yeah. That he would almost become boring if he started to succeed a little bit. Yep. I mean, and you get to see that a little bit in the second season of uh, of mm-hmm. Lower Decks. Um, and I think it's the same thing that I love about Lower Decks that we've talked about before, which is like, it is being silly in a way that I believe Star Trek has always been silly. It's just yeah. taking that and putting it a little bit forefront and letting the like more serious Star Trek uh, bits take a backseat, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's not making fun of the holodeck, but it's just like letting us see like that sort of ridiculousness taken to the extreme and following it through. If we watched like a different holodeck episode and we kept watching how stupid it got after the, you know, the show cut. Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great one. That's what I loved about it. I feel like we are all boy. Yes. Like every time I see him, I'm like, I would be that kind of like nerdy ass kissing little like simp mm-hmm. because I just know that I'm such a dork that I would want to be so successful and that like a group of normals would take me in and try to be like, okay, we're going to help you calm down and not be such an anxious mess. And so again, it's that the move away of like friendship 
just being so accepting. And then even when you have your difficulties, you throw it out there, you're mad at each other, and then you move on and you bring them back into the fold. And I love that. And we, we'd all have our own captain's log too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I do like that. I would not be Boimler. I think Boimler is way too effing competent and successful. <laughs> The only thing that makes Boimler seem Boimlery is that he is on the Cerritos because when you see him placed on, uh, what is it, the Titan that yeah, uh, yeah. Frakes has in, in Lower Decks, he is wildly competent. He fits in perfectly with that like archetypal Star Trek group that we have. And like, I'm not that. I would never be that. I might be working in 10 forward if I was lucky as like a, yeah. a civilian. I think sometimes, okay, this is truth time. When... You're in a certain stage in your life. So when I was in my mid-20s to late-20s, I was working with a group of people and I was still really trying to like figure out who I was, what I was, what my philosophies were, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of thought of me as like, here comes Lexi. And they had this image of me. I had to leave and work at a new place to really come into my own. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can be both. I think you can be the like simpering kiss up and the very competent comfortable in your own skin person and it just yeah we are boimler all of us that makes yeah. it sound like i'm um, saying we're borg <laughs> well, well we're borg we're boingler if that's what means to be boimler yeah we are boimler. i will say this though i i would not last a week in starfleet i trapped in a spaceship with the same people for weeks on end i oh, would yeah. get booted off on purpose i don't do authority structures very good um i feel like i could do a month and then the, the it's got to stink right like it just must smell like farts constantly yeah generated recycled air oh totally <laughs> and they're all drinking their own pee and eating poo yeah it's all getting re- I mean, come reconstituted on. in the in the protein matter reshakers, whatever coming out the. Yep. There's no way you can just be like, mm, I want a Caesar, and then a, no, it is pee and poo, cleaned up. Yeah. Here you go. The, the molecules, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, even like the lower decks people on the Cerritos are are super competent, even with their low like lesser responsibilities. So I like. Right? I wouldn't be in Starfleet. Next season, they need to introduce someone who is actually genuinely bad at their job and somehow has just gotten through Starfleet training. They have that episode. Do you remember that? Um, what is it? That one guy who's sort of like faking and screwing up everything and like eventually they have to kick him off the ship. Oh, he's got like curly hair. Oh, God. I wish I could remember. Okay, I'm going to have to go back. I've only I've only rewatched Lower Decks once through entirely. Yeah. So uh, that's all I've gone to is, yeah. is like a first run through those. I need to rewatch them too. I did rewatch a couple episodes for this just to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you do research. Oh, yeah. You have to rewatch Star Trek. All yeah. Star Trek. It's great. Oh, yes. So that's my final choice was that I excretus from, uh, from, from Lower Decks. Wonderful, wonderful choice. Yeah. Good one. Amazing. Approved. Stamp of approval. I feel like we have to do a shout out to this particular episode um, before we wrap because I think it's criminal if we don't otherwise. And I don't think the show gets enough love. We always do a, a special mentions. Um, yep. It's been a long time coming from here to there. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> getting from so I just want to here. give a shout out to Enterprise Unexpected for having the first time the, the proto. holodeck was used. Yeah, the proto holodeck. And also, yeah, and then also the first time we've ever seen male pregnancy. 
Yeah, way to go, Trip. <gasps> yes! Best time. Best. And Trip, you know, he handled it so well. And I'm actually, Ugh. was after that episode, so impressed by Trip from then on out for how he handled that. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Connor Trenier, is that yeah. it? Yeah, yeah Connor Trenier. Yeah, yeah, I always really liked his character. Scott Bakula, I love too, ever yeah. since Quantum Leap. So oh, yeah. the cast was Amazing. really good. Yeah. Uh, the cast was good. They they just had their trouble of, we got to make Star Trek sexy. So Yeah, yeah, a little bit too much to Paul TNA. We got what we got. I mean, to the show's credit, at least Trip was in there uh, as well, getting stripped down to his, you know, his ginch. Yes. That entire episode where he saved the crew half naked from the Frankie. <laughs> that, that was great. Yeah. And they're all getting rubbed with shiny, shiny liquid. And he gets pregnant. <laughs> He's the only one on the cast who gets pregnant. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like we have to give them that shadow. They deserve that. I I liked Enterprise too. I remember watching it. I was probably 17, 16 or 17. I forget when that first run happened. And uh, yeah, it was just great. I loved, oh God, I remember how sad I was when I found out like Mm -hmm. it was canceled after four seasons, especially after the third season when like the fans really rallied for it. And it finally started to take off. Oh yeah, it really felt like it found its footing in the fourth season there. Like I enjoyed all of it, but like it was really getting going. And then, like, yeah, knowing that they were basically just hanging up Star Trek for the next yeah. decade and a half, two decades or whatever. That was a dark time. That was a very dark time for all of us. It was a very dark time. And now we have this embarrassment of yeah. Star Trek. And I am one of those weirdos that basically oh, yeah. just likes Star Trek. And so imperfections or whatever, I am just enjoying the hell out of being in in a timeline that has four different Star Trek shows going right now. And more on their way. Yes. Four days away from Strange New Worlds, and I am so excited uh, for that. So excited. Uh, It looks like a lot of fun. Well, that's it. That's a wrap on Holodork (laughs) episode. Um, All the titles get dork, with the exception of maybe one, where I couldn't come up with a pun. Yep, it's good. It's good. Not great for SEO, Mm -hmm. but fun for me. Steph, thanks so much for joining us. That was a blast. You had some great picks. Yeah, thank you. And pushed us uh, to uh, come up with quotes. Love it. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to send you guys more of my follow-up thoughts because I'll definitely be thinking about things we missed out on talking. <laughs> I will end up listening to this episode a uh, cumulative total of about four times between now, uh, cuts from our producer, and uh, like <laughs> I go through and like take out show notes and try to find good clips and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you know what follow-up thoughts I have on it as well. Can't wait. Maybe we need to have an impassioned uh, debate about, uh, you know, the virtues of Neelix at some point. We got to bring on, mm. not me. <laughs> I feel like I should bring on somebody else oh. who, like, is, like, really good and can, like, like go toe-to-toe with you on on some debating about Neelix. Happily. There's got to be some weirdo out there who's written, like, a thesis on Neelix, right? Oh, I'm sure. Of course there is. Uh, yeah, I could do a Google search and find that person for us. Wait, you know what would be even more fun? What if what if you defended Neelix? Oh. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> you have to go out there and find all the Neelix virtues. No, that, that would be something that would require multiple rounds of therapy to even think about doing. And then uh, I would have to spend a lot of time drunk and then work on we it. We don't have the budget to pay for that, so. <laughs> yeah, no. We'll just let it go. Well, Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I had a blast. Thank you for having me. God, I love Star Trek. Uh, and until next time, dork, 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 dork. Dork, dork. dork. Thanks for listening to Dork Matters. If you like the podcast, subscribe, give a rating, and tell a friend about us. 
If you are a fellow dork and have a dork issue that you think we need to discuss, tell us on our social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our original art and other content from Ben and myself. We'd like to say a big thank you to Yabra for the use of our theme song Dance off of their Astral EP, as well as a thank you to Jess Schmidt for producing and editing our podcast. Thanks, Jess. Dork Matters. This podcast is created on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksiga, the Bigani, and the Gaina. We also acknowledge the Stony Nakoda Nation, Sutena, and Métis Region 3. Dork Matters is a proud member of the Alberta Public Radio Podcast Network.